pleasure to be back with you, King's Church. It was great being on vacation last week. Love going, uh, just spending time with the family and seeing the cousins and my kids uh, get a chance to play together. We had just a great time, uh, lots of fun. Uh, caught some, caught some fish. Had a bunch of other stories to tell, but really, really, really cherished that time. But one of my favorite times, and it always is. Uh, when I go on vacation, is being able to worship at another church. I know that may sound strange to you, but for me, it's nice to go somewhere and have no responsibility and, and just be able to do like a lot of y'all have to do. If you're at King's Church, you probably have some responsibility. We're going to put a shovel in your hand real quick. But, uh, but it's nice to go and just be able to worship God. And it was really neat. So uh, we drove past, and I saw this uh, church called Christ the King, and I was like, well, King's Church, Christ King. Um, and, I, and I found out they were Anglican Church, and I'd never been to an Anglican Church before. And I know that God is actually doing some really marvelous things in the Anglican Church. I had several friends in seminary uh, that serve in those churches. And so I, I was really interested to go. And a little bit of a different flavor, but it's okay. You know, there's all kind of spices and, and stuff that goes into the soup called the church, right? And it makes it taste good. So we, we, uh, went, we woke up and... And went to church there and uh, had a wonderful worship service. And then afterwards, I was talking with the rector or pastor is what they call, or they call their pastor a rector. And I was talking with him and, and was changing information. He said, I'm in Columbia and the Irmo side of town. And he said, do you know Jeff Shipman? And some of y'all know, some of y'all know Jeff real well. Him and Jeff Shipman go way back, right? And uh, they were actually involved in a lot of mission projects together. And so automatically we have this unbelievable connection and then we started talking about different things that we've done and we've actually made some plans to do some things in the future. Okay? I had no idea. I just drove past the church and honestly just liked the name and so looked up their website online and I mentioned that just to say it's a beautiful connection of the church of Jesus Christ. That you can see different places, different denominations, all people who, who love Christ and may worship a little different. They may have some distinctives in what they believe, uh, but we're all joined together in, in a common mission. And it really was refreshing. And just let me encourage you, when you guys are out of town or on vacation, if you're able, uh, make the effort. We're in worship somewhere. I know you got to pack slacks, right? I actually wear shorts, just letting you know, right? But, you know... you. Make the extra effort to go and experience God with another group of people in another place. It was a blessing to me, and I would encourage you to, to, to do the exact uh, same thing. So let me give you a little bit of an update. So I'm back here, but actually next week Foster will be preaching for us, and then subsequently after that Josh is going to preach two weeks. Uh, I will not be going anywhere. I'll be here, and I'll be here all week if you guys need anything. Love to help you any way I can. But really wanted to devote some time preparing for the fall. As y'all remember, we went and we nominated some of our leaders. And uh, so I'm going to take some time uh, in the next few weeks to get us ready for a lot of different things we're doing in the fall. I'll talk about that for a minute. But also to prepare to begin training these leaders for the election that we'll have coming up. And so pray for me as I, as I put together um, our leadership kind of elder and deacon training manual. I'm doing this because Foster Christie loves manuals. He just loves them, loves manuals, right? So uh, as I put together uh, these training tools, y'all pray for me. And also just trying to get my head around, like Josh mentioned a minute ago, we're getting used to the space. And we've got a lot of things that we're ready as we invite others in the 
community to come and worship with us. Things that we're going to put out on the road, different ways that we're going to meet people and invite people. And also we've got community groups starting back up in the fall and all that kind of stuff. So as we prepare, pray for me and pray for us. And then we look forward to hearing from these men as they preach to us. So today... Jumping back into John chapter 1, looking at the ministry of John the Baptist. So we're going to make this distinction again because there are two Johns that are going to pop up in this passage. One is the author of the passage. I'm going to call him John the writer and then John the Baptist. But we're looking at John the Baptist's ministry and John the writer gives us the clearest picture, I would say, in all of the Bible of who Jesus is and why that is so significant. And here we get a picture of this unique phrase that John uses to describe describe Jesus Christ when he calls him the Lamb of God. So significant for why we can have the peace and security of salvation and be free from the judgment of God. This idea, Josh has actually already mentioned whenever we looked at at the book of Exodus, this idea of the Lamb of God. John the writer says this about uh, his book, his gospel that he has written He says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Okay, So the goal of this gospel is so that you might know who Jesus actually is and that your faith, your trust, and your belief would lead you to have life in his name. And that life is not only what will happen one day after you die, but that life is something that you can experience abundantly at this moment in time. Okay, that You may have life in his name. What you believe about Jesus matters. Doctrine, which is a word, which simply means what you believe. What you believe, doctrine, matters. There's a lot hanging on the balance wrong beliefs if you believe incorrectly about who you are who God is who Jesus is then you have faith in the wrong thing in other words if you have if your doctrine is messed up if you don't believe accurately about who Jesus is then your faith doesn't attach you to the salvation that God has provided you you track it with me if, if you don't believe, for example, that Jesus is the Lamb of God, that he is the Son of God, if you just believe Jesus was a good dude, that faith doesn't save you. There's a lot hanging in the balance according to what you believe. And the, one of the reasons I mention this is because I really think the church, specifically in America, is in trouble in terms of how we, we, the fact that we do not know what we believe and why we believe it. Let me give you some examples of that. Josh sent me a some alarming statistics this week from a survey that was done in 2020 among evangelicals. And that word just means people who say they believe the Bible and go to church. Okay, Amongst evangelicals. And so I went and looked up the study. And it, it turns out that most people in churches don't know what they believe or believe bad doctrine. So this is not 20 years ago. This is 2020. Okay, 52% of the people in church, agree that Jesus was a great teacher, but not God. 52%. That belief will not save you. Okay, There's no hope in that belief. 16% 
Only 16% of people strongly disagreed with this statement, okay? 16% of the people in the church disagreed with this statement. God accepts worship from all religions. So that means almost 75% of the people in the church, at some level, don't passionately disagree with this statement. God accepts worship from all religions. That's a lie. God does not accept worship from all religions. You better be covered in the blood of the Son of God. Okay? 21 people, only 21% of people strongly disagree with this statement, that Jesus was created by God. Almost 80% of people don't... Pa- These are not hard concepts, guys. I'm not pulling out the minutia doctrine of Scripture. We're talking about bread and butter, meat and potatoes doctrine that you got to know. And if in a, you, 80% of the people go, I don't know. Right? I kind of agree with that, or I don't agree with that, or I'm not sure. You can't be unsure about this and be saved. And 80% of people are like, eh, on the fence, or don't agree at all. In the church. I'm not talking about people outside the church. I'm talking about in the church. Only 28% of people surveyed strongly agree that the Bible has authority to tell us what we must do. And only 30%, uh, 37% of people strongly degree, disagree with the fact that gender identity is a matter of choice. Again, nearly 60% of people in the church are, at, are somewhere on the spectrum of maybe, maybe gender is a choice. Only 37% said, no, not. Okay? I raise this to say that there, that, that there is a lot, and perhaps there's, there's many of you in this room that are legitimately struggling with these ideas. That's great. I'm glad you're here. But you need to know what you believe. Doctrine saves your soul. If you don't have faith in the right belief, then you have a chain that leads to, some, leads to an anchor that's not going to hold you down. You need to be chained to something that's going to hold your salvation down. Specifically, that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God and the Son of God. Now, what we believe affects the trajectory of our life, okay? And we're going to see that today. So let me, let's look at this passage. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 29. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 29. If you need it, uh, there's the words uh, in your order of worship this morning. This is God's word. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testify that this is the Son of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Pray with me. Father in heaven, as we consider your word this morning, I do ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together would be pleasing in your sight. Help us, O Lord, as we worship you over your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's a big idea. 
getting used to this new setup over here. It, faith in Jesus as the Lamb of God and the Son of God will save your soul and transform your life right now. Faith in Jesus as the Lamb of God and the Son of God, remember, doctrine matters, that's what we're talking about, will save your soul, will, will make you okay with God, and in addition to that, if that wasn't enough, what you believe, specifically landing your heart and mind on these two ideas, Lamb of God and Son of God, has the power to transform your life right now. Eternal benefits, momentary benefits in this moment. Okay, uh, Faith in Jesus Christ will save your soul. Christianity is the only religion in the world that teaches that salvation comes by grace alone through faith alone. Every other religion in the world has some type of mixture of do these certain types of things and God will accept you. You can escape the judgment and the wrath of God if you will do X, Y, and Z. Christianity teaches there is absolutely nothing that you can do except receive the grace that comes through faith in the Lamb of God and the Son of God. That your sin is such, a, is such a, an offense to God that it deserves punishment. Eternal wrath poured out on you in a literal, physical place called hell forever and ever and ever. But God, in his mercy, took care of that problem and took that wrath on you. You have to believe that. You have to believe it. that faith, the faith in that is faith that ties you to that anchor that's going to hold you down. And the question that we're asking this morning is what specifically do you need to believe about Jesus? And then secondly, that faith has the power to transform your life. That what you believe can dramatically affect you and alter how you live and how you think. That the fruit of God's spirit, the fruit of this belief can lead to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, purpose, and freedom from pressure and anxieties. Transformative effect right now. So the question we're asking then is very simple. How is Jesus as the Son of God and the Lamb of God have this effect? Why does Jesus need to be the Lamb? Why, is that, why does that save you? Why does faith in the Lamb, Jesus as the Lamb of God save you? Why does Jesus, as the Son of God, why does faith in that save you? And then the second question, how does that transform your life? And so we're going to look at that this morning. Three points. Uh, how does faith in the Lamb of God save you? How does faith in the Son of God save you? And then the final point will be, how should it transform your life right now? Not only give you eternal hope and perspective, but change your life right now. Okay. First, how does faith in Jesus as the Lamb of God save you? Last time we were in John chapter 1, we looked at this official delegation from the Jewish leadership, from the Sanhedrin and Pharisees tagged along, that came and questioned John. They asked him a ton of questions. He had a very powerful ministry. Thousands of people were coming and hearing him talk in the wilderness. Okay, This, this was... The, John's church was not a comfortable place to be. It didn't have air conditioning like we have today. It was, a, it was a hike. It was in the wilderness. You had to bring your own food. Okay, But thousands of people were coming. And, and his message wasn't encouraging. His message was, you are sinful, 
And you need to repent right now so that you can see the Messiah who's coming. That was his message. And so naturally, he got a lot of... The, the leadership is doing actually a good thing in saying, who is this guy? So they ask him these questions. Who are you? Are you Elijah the Messiah? Why do you baptize people? And John responded, and I'll summarize it by this saying, my job, John said, the Baptist said, my job is to prepare the way for one who's coming after me. And then we pick it up in this scene. Verse 29, he says, The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, or look, the Lamb of God who, took, who takes away the sins of the world. This is a really interesting name for John to give Jesus. He, he said his job is to prepare the way for the Messiah, to prepare the way for the one who's going to fix everything. And what he and many others would have been looking for, no doubt, is a king similar to King David or some type of, uh, of warrior who would come in and take things away and make it right. The way that that happened in the book of Judges, for example, over and over and over again. God would raise up a deliverer. God would raise up some type of warrior or something. And he would come in and deliver the people and call, or, or, or raise up a prophet and call them back from their sins. He doesn't say, behold, there's a prophet. Look. Behold, there is a king. He's coming. He doesn't even say, look, there's Messiah. He says, look, there's the Lamb of God. It's an interesting title to give him. The Jews who were listening to him, they wouldn't have been shocked by the image. It wouldn't have been a foreign image. They would have thought immediately about the passage we read a few minutes ago about the book of Exodus. And they would have hopefully tried to apply who Jesus was and what John's ministry was was to explain who, who the prepare the way rather for who Jesus is. And so, what is John saying about Jesus when he says he's the Lamb of God? Well, if you go back to the book of Exodus, like we looked at just a few minutes ago, that God promised death to every firstborn in Egypt. Men and women and animals and children. That an angel of death would come into every household and take life away. This was guaranteed and this was promised. And there was only salvation. The only way to have salvation was that if you had blood of a lamb on your doorpost. That if there was blood on your doorpost, then your household was covered and the angel would pass away. In Leviticus chapter 17, the reason blood is significant, Leviticus 17, 11, we read this. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. So this is why whenever you come to a church, we're always talking about blood. Blood, 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 all the time. It's because the life is in the blood, says Leviticus 17. So it's, a, it's the life for life switch. Payment, guilt on that life switch. Substitution. Got it? And so Jesus comes in, and we know this from other gospels, that he had just come in from the temptation, being tempted by the devil in the wilderness. He comes in, and John sees Jesus come, and he says, Look, the Lamb of God, there he is. What's he saying? He's saying there's the one whose blood will need to cover the doorpost of your life. That's what he's saying. 
The blood that will need the salvific, substitutionary, him for me, the same way the lamb was in sacrifices and in the Old Testament, there he is. That's a concept about Messiah they didn't have. That's a concept about Messiah, about your salvation, that I hope you have. What you have doesn't cut it. Your life, your blood, got that? Leviticus 17.11? Won't do it. There needs to be an exchange in order to count you righteous. That Jesus, John is declaring Jesus' role in salvation that all the blood of lambs and bulls and goats in the past, they weren't enough. What he's saying about Jesus is Jesus is the pure Lamb of God. It's interesting, the Greek word translated in verse 29, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I don't know what your translation says, that's what mine says, who takes away the sin of the world, is actually a present participle. And so an, a really a more wooden translation would go like this. The one who is taking, it's in the process, of taking away the sins of the world. You see, because Jesus was in the middle of living a perfect and sinless life. If Jesus sinned, then he would have no longer been a pure lamb. So if someone asks you, was Jesus good, just a decent person? He wasn't perfect? that kind of lamb won't get the job done. If you've got a, a, a maimed or, or a flawed lamb in your house, didn't get the job done. Blood didn't work. Jesus had to live a perfect life, and he did, to be a perfect sacrifice. That's the only way that you and me are going to avoid the wrath of God. Jesus was tempted, just like Adam and Eve were tempted, and when Adam was tempted, he sinned. And when Jesus was tempted, he didn't. It was a perfect sacrifice. It had to be perfect. So the question then is, how does the Lamb of God save your soul from judgment? How does Jesus save your soul from judgment? We just talked about the first aspect of it. It's got to be a pure lamb. Okay, It's got to be a pure lamb. If, if I was to give my life for you, it wouldn't work. Because I was born in sin, the very nature that I had when I came out of the womb was sinful. I was guilty from day one before I did the first thing. You too. And then my life has manifested sin after sin after sin after sin after sin. If I, even if I was willing, which by the way I'm not, to give my life for you, it wouldn't work. Jesus had to be a pure sacrifice and it was so how does the Lamb of God save your soul from judgment? What I want you to see is the gravity of the situation that your sin puts you in with God. It is so severe that it costs blood, that someone has to pay wrath. Your sin is not simply an annoyance to God. It is something that he's going to throw his everlasting wrath on. That in the courtroom of eternal justice, you are guilty and you will get the full weight of his wrath. Now, you can disagree with that, but it doesn't change that fact. And God one day is not going to care whether you disagreed with him or not. 
it's going to come, the court, the gavel's going to come down where it comes down. He's not going to budge on that issue. And in the Old Testament, the penalty was animal blood, but it was simply a shadow. It simply delayed the reality of it. But John steps on the scene and announces that there is someone here who is to be offered once and for all as a sacrifice. He is a pure Lamb of God. Come to pay the penalty that you were required to pay, but you're not able to pay. That when you place your faith in Christ, you're declaring several things. Number one, that you have no ability to save yourself. And there's no amount of good deeds. Think of it like this. Imagine there was a mass murderer who killed uh, hundreds of people. And he was caught, and the, the, the evidence was overwhelming. He did it. He's put in prison. But then they give him this work relief program. And he goes and feeds thousands of children in Asia who are starving. Raises money, prepares the meals, packs the meals, is inspirational in how he gets it done. And feeds thousands. Let me ask you a question. Is he still guilty or not? He's still guilty and deserving of death. Does it matter how much you do in your life? And God encourages us to do good things. The verdict is the same, unless there's someone who pays it. This is why you have to believe that there is no ability of what you possess that you can do. You must have a substitute. Someone must pay. Number two, you you must believe uh, that his blood is sufficient to cover your sins and that you are safe from the wrath of God. Talk a little bit more about that in a second. Now, on, on the reality of how the, Jesus being the Lamb of God for change, transform your life, we'll save that to the end. Okay, but the first point is you need a pure one-for-one sacrifice, and faith in that is what brings salvation. Jesus is the Lamb of God. And then the second thing that John says at the very end of this passage, the last three words that he says, he not only says that he's a lamb of God, he says that Jesus is the son of God. And most of these few verses that we're looking at are actually a defense of that reality, that Jesus is the son of God. So number two this morning, we're looking at how faith in Jesus as the son of God saves your soul. And what John does is give confirmation after confirmation in this passage that his declaration about Jesus being the Son of God is true. So you'll see in in verse 30 he says that that he is the Son of God. And here's the first reason. That he he has surpassed me because he was before me. Here's the interesting thing. If you read Luke chapter 1, you find out that John was actually born first. So what is he talking about? He's declaring here that before anything was created, that Jesus was. That Jesus was not the first creation of God. That he is God and did not need to be created. I'll say that again because apparently 75% of people are confused about this in the church. Jesus is not the first creation of God. Faith in that is not faith that saves. Okay? Jesus is God, and he never needed to be created. In fact, John, the gospel writer, says that about Jesus. says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God, and he was with God in the beginning. Second confirmation that he gives is in verse 31, 
that John the Baptist didn't know that Jesus was the Son of God until now. And then he says in verse 31, I myself did not know him. I didn't know he was the Son of God. And then he says, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. He's saying, I didn't know it at first, but I know it now, that he's the whole point of everything I'm doing. All right, next confirmation. Jesus is the Son of God is a bold claim. It is the boldest claim of Christianity, potentially. The claim that Jesus is a good and moral teacher is shattered because Jesus continually claims that he's the Son of God. And he's either insane or he's a liar, and those two things don't make you a good teacher. Or he actually is the Son of God. And he is a good teacher. Tracking? So... he, there, so John spends a lot of time proving that Jesus is, is actually the Son of God. And here's confirmation. Here's another one of his confirmation. He says here in verse 32, John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. So Jesus, at the John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. People were coming almost symbolically to receive this washing saying, I need to be changed. I need to be cleansed. And Jesus didn't need to be cleansed, but he went out as a representative to receive that baptism. And whenever he did, when he was stepping out of the river, the heavens opened up. In fact, let me read to you the two verses from Mark who gives us the full picture. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my Son, whom I love, with whom with you I am well pleased. So where did John get this notion that Jesus was the Son of God? He didn't just invent it in his mind. God spoke it. From the heavens. Now, this is cool. Again, this is not this sermon. I preached on this in the past, but this is a lot of fun to think about. The fact that when the heavens opened up, that's not simply the clouds parting. What is it? The atmosphere opening up? I don't really know. But it's this drastic event where God opens up and speaks into that, this is my son, and I'm well pleased with him. So confirmation number one is he's saying, I knew that he was the Lamb of God. I knew he was the Son of God because of that event. Confirmation number two is that God told John this would happen. God told John this would happen, verse 33. I would not, known, or would not have known him, except that the one who sent me, God, to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So God told John, when you see this, that's the one. And then he saw it. He said, that's the one. Claiming that someone is the son of God is a bold claim. He didn't just make it. He had the proof to back it up. So then we get to the question, how does faith in Jesus as the son of God save your soul? Why do you have to believe that? Why do you have to be attached to that specific anchor? And if you're not, then you float away to the wrath of God. Okay? Let me ask this question. Why was the sacrificial system of the Old Testament not enough? Good question. At least I think it is. Why was the sacrificial system of the Old Testament not enough? Let me, let me give you a few verses from the book of Hebrews chapter 10. He, the author says it better than I can. 
Listen up. The law, this is Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Excuse me, chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. Just listen. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. Did you hear that? John is saying, the reality is here. Shadow's gone. For this reason, it, the sacrifices... Can, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make those perfect who draw near to worship. You can't, they're not going to work because you have to keep doing them over and over and over and over and over and over again. Okay? Endlessly, year after year. That's why they didn't work. Verse 2 If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For worshipers who have been cleansed once and for all would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. If the sacrificial system was meant to pay for sins, then you wouldn't have to keep going over and over and over again. That's his point. Okay? But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Got it? Shadows. It's impossible. For the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. The second bold claim of the gospel is that you not only needed the Lamb of God to cover your sins, you needed the Lamb of God who was the Son of God. You needed God blood to cover your sins. Remember, the life's in the blood. Life for life. Substitution. Transition. His righteousness, your sin. Swap. Okay? That's the gospel. Your sin needed to be dealt with once and for all. Divine blood, listen to me, divine blood had to be spilt because we needed an infinite and eternal sacrifice. Two things. Divine blood had to be spilt because we needed a sacrifice that was infinite and eternal. And only God is those two things. Infinite and and eternal. Again, let's say I want to die for you. There's a problem. Let's say I'm perfect. And I die for you. And then 10 minutes later you sin. Doesn't count anymore. Because I'm not infinite. I'm extremely finite. I'm not eternal. I will die. The sacrifice had to be infinite and eternal. Jesus' blood saves you now and forever because it was the infinite and eternal blood of the Son of God. Now that can save you. And what the Bible says is if you place your faith, your hope, your trust, your dependence into that, that God calls you a son, that God declares you justified, you're not only free from guilt, you're righteous. Okay? Why? Because on the cross, eternal, infinite blood was shed. You, fin you sin, you place your faith in Christ, you sin in six minutes. You sin while I'm still talking. Still covered. Why? Because the blood was eternal. How about not just your sin? How about ain't that many people in this room? 
But, but how about the sins of just the people in this room? How could one man's sin cover just the sins, the thousands, the maybe even millions of sins of the people committed in this room? How does it work? Because he's infinite. What about the people who died before Jesus came? All those believers in the Old Testament. His blood is eternal, even in the past. What about those people who are yet to be born? His blood is eternal. When Jesus absorbed the wrath of God in his death, God, blood, blood of a pure and spotless lamb that was divine, was shed. Infinite and eternal. So when John says that here comes the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he's not using a hyperbole. He's speaking the truth. Because the infinite and eternal blood of the pure sacrifice has been offered and God has exhausted his wrath on that. He didn't hold back. He exhausted his wrath on that lamb. And then Jesus can say, it is finished. How can he say that? He didn't, I hadn't even sinned yet. I hadn't even been born. How can he say it's been finished? Infinite and eternal blood of the Son of God. Now, if you have faith in a good moral teacher... You don't get infinite and eternal blood. You have faith in someone who was created by God, but wasn't God himself. You don't get infinite and eternal blood. You have faith that you can be right with God by your own deeds. You don't have infinite and eternal blood, and that's what you must have is the infinite and eternal blood of the Son of God, the Lamb of God. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. As we finish up this morning, I pray that you would know that and be covered by the blood of God and that would affect your eternal reality. And some of you may not. But for those who do, that reality that you've been covered, the doorposts of your life have been covered by infant eternal God blood, that should transform the way you think and feel right now. That should change the experience of your life and how you perceive your life going. A couple things. You should have an assurance of salvation. That means you know you're going to be okay when you die. The questions that we ask, which are legitimate, does God love me? Can God really forgive my sin? I mean, you don't know, Matt, what I've done. I'm not even going to tell you. Can God really forgive my sin? Yeah, he can. You know why? Infinite and eternal God blood. If it was anything less than that, then maybe dice are out. But the verdict's in because of infinite and eternal God love. How about, how about having perseverance through suffering, whatever difficulty you're going through right now? 
Jesus had a tough life. Even he did. You can have the strength to persevere because you know that whatever happens right now, that once you die, you have eternal God blood. And you can persevere. How about peace? You know, we can always find something to worry about. And oftentimes, we're worried about all kinds of things, what people think about us, whether or not we're going to have enough money, how, all these kind of things. But if you know the wrath of God is not an option for you, and that there is eternal glory waiting for you, what really do you have to worry about? It's transformative. True joy. You know, when I think about joy, I, I think about the deepest joy that comes from the reality that you are deeply loved by others just really makes you happy, right? Think about when someone sings you happy birthday and you got a crowd of people and they're singing you happy birthday. It doesn't make you feel great. People love you. They want to be there or they like the cake, either one. But do you know that God feels that way about you? Look at me. Do you know that you are worth God's blood? Do you know that? And I know you may feel about yourself a whole host of things. But do you know what God feels about you? That you are worth the Lamb of God and the Son of God spilling His blood. And if that's true, that'll change your life right now. Father in heaven, as we consider your blood and as actually as we transition to taking the Lord's Supper and we partake of this symbol I pray Father for those who are here who have never depended completely on the blood of the Lamb of God the Son of God that today would be the day where they relinquish control that they wouldn't say that I need Jesus plus this, I need Jesus plus these good things, or I need Jesus plus this to be happy, or I need... But that they would, they would look at the cross of Jesus Christ and the blood that was spilt there and say, that's all I need, and I depend on that. For those who know you, would you allow the reality of the fact that God's blood was spilt for me and for them to spill into every crevice of their life that we would love and serve you further and we ask these things in Jesus name amen